Hey, have you been thinking about starting a podcast? And have you done your research? And they've told you that you need to buy certain equipment? Well, if you want to start off a podcast the cheapest way, I'll tell you to download Anchor. You can create your own cover art, you can record episodes, you can edit your episodes, and you don't even have to worry about distributing your episodes. Anchor will do it all for you. They'll send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. So I encourage you to download the Anchor app if you're interested in creating your own podcast. Hey, you guys, as you know, um, I'm usually on the move. My life is (laughs) far from stagnant. Um, so I do apologize if some of the recordings are a little bit off. Um, I know some of the audio isn't that great at times, so I do apologize, um, in advance for that. So, hey, welcome to the Mental Black with Shelby. Um, today I am going to be interviewing a mental health professional, a old friend, and also a business owner of Artsy Rella. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but she can tell you exactly how to pronounce it, you guys. Also, I am in my car because I got to go pick up my kid. Like I always say, I, my life has changed. I don't have as much privacy as I like, and I'm always on the go. But moving along, Brittany, how are you? I'm going to let you do your whole spiel about your business and then we can go on to ask you some questions about how it is to be a black woman building a business because I know it's hard (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) um you did pronounce it right so as I mentioned when you see it you're like oh my gosh how do you pronounce that it's not as complicated so it's artsyrella um it literally has no meaning to it (laughs) I just always grew up being the artsy person. So I don't know. I just combined it like artsy and Cinderella together. It's a magical So I started Artsyrella, just the idea, way back in 2012. So I was an undergrad. And at the time, I was actually pursuing my bachelor's degree in fashion design at Virginia Commonwealth University. So when the business came about, I was trying to kill two birds with one stone by making my business more fashion focused. And if you go on there today, you will see it has evolved into more so a graphic design business. Yeah, I need some some parts. (laughs) Oh, yes. I definitely got you right. And we just put out some um, new services for clients. So, yeah, I'll hook you up. Definitely. Um, So I've been doing that for really the graphic design part of it since I want to say 2016, like really took it more seriously. And I got the company established in 2017 in Connecticut. So that's Artsy Rella. And then I have a mental health blog called Grounded Truth, where I talk about my experience as a mental health professional and as someone who battles with different mental health illnesses. I have depression and anxiety, clinically diagnosed, and it wasn't always as smooth and easy coping with those two. But I talk about the progress and what I did to get to a place of stabilization and just a place of where I actually 
have a happy and fulfilling life. Yeah, this is what the mental block is for. Because <laughs> that's what this is my space. Hi, remember my space? But this is my space, really, where I is the mental block. It's like where I talk about certain topics that I find to be intriguing, also within the mental health field. And I feel you on the whole um, being diagnosed and also having to work in this field. I was just talking about it last night on um, the thing I uploaded about being black in a all white space. But um, yeah, nonetheless, for you. Um, about the business because then I really want to get into the mental health piece too because you know that's what we do but for the business um, building that up how how was it because I know like everybody my my sister's trying to start a business and I didn't realize how much really went into a business especially like um, black owned businesses Um, and you know like is this meme out there like how like black owned businesses especially when it comes to food how they try to overcharge like we feel as though they're overcharging like they're doing us a disservice but in reality Mm -hmm. it's not doing us a disservice it's just that they're trying to get back what they invested so for you how how has that journey been it has been the largest roller coaster i've ever been on (laughs) it's had its ups it had its downs and is forever like evolving so as I mentioned it started off more fashion focused and as I evolved as an individual so did the business um I recently left my full-time job where I was making a salary income I knew what I was gonna get every other week I had benefits I left all of that to wander off into a world of uncertainty to be my own full-time entrepreneur with my business. Um, I did that beginning of February. Yeah. And I find myself switching things around again because now I have to fill in the income that I was missing out, or I will be missing out on since I left my job. But it's all a learning process. Um, Being a business owner is not for someone who thinks it's just going to be easy and you get to just do what you want. In lane answers, yeah, you could do what you want, but you got to do a lot of stuff to come with it. You got to figure out who your clientele is. You got to figure out your business plan, your marketing plan. You got to figure out the cost of everything and how you're going to get it profit back. You have to figure out filings and if you are like an esthetician, anything that requires some licensure, you have to go get that and be certified. So it's a lot of different things you have to do, but the best thing I could say is one, do your research and two, connect with people in the industry, people who've done what you've done already. And you could bypass some of the mistakes by learning what worked and what didn't work for them. Yeah. But how is it as an African-American um, going into this sector? I mean, because when you think about um, businesses like African-American people, we own businesses, but they're not really patronized mm-hmm. by um, people within our communities. And like you said, your business is more so now you're doing like um, more of like the digital, like the computer, basically things on the computer, right? And even for a woman, that's new territory. You know what I'm trying to say? So Mm -hmm. for you, like, how do you balance like that out? Like, it sounds like it's a lot. (laughs) Um, I actually think it gives me an upper hand, if anything, more than a disadvantage. especially in the world that we're living in now where race is a constant conversation and being able to play 
equi- um, like neutral, not having these um, race wars going on. Yeah. So people want to support Black businesses, especially I felt like that spike increased after George Floyd's um, murder. Yes. It definitely was a high increase in Black businesses were on demand. And George Floyd was murdered um, about, I want to say, a week or two weeks after I had my son. Mm-hmm. And like now, like his, he's starting to get a little fro. <laughs> And I'm just like, we need some black hair care products that was created by black folk for black folk. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Like I, I do. And that, that's another thing too. Um, especially when you're thinking about like hair products, skin products, you want to trust somebody who has the same hair as you, has the same skin as you, who's familiar with your background, your culture. So naturally you want to gravitate towards a black business. Exactly. I mean, I think that like before I was and I and that's what my only critique about black business, all black businesses, is that like oh, I know where this going, but go ahead. You are we are <laughs> all I hate to say, but all black folk know <laughs> is the mm-hmm. idea like customer service, okay? <laughs> customer service. Um, it's the idea like yes, I think that um that black business owners have the advantage of, of being able to kind of understand the, the struggle and the culture of, of many black Americans or many black folks or brown, however anybody wants to identify themselves. It's just that um, the idea is that like customer service, just because, you know, we are of the same does not mean that you can shit on me because you think that I don't expect some more to be treated more or less than you would treat um, another race of people. And I think sometimes within black business that that happens. But you ever experienced that within a black business? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually could relate on both ends. Okay. Um, like I said, I'm still learning with my business. I've definitely come a long way since 2012. But everything was always peachy and keen. Um, there was times where I could have been more professional about how I handle situations. Um, I've learned from those moments. And I've had bought things or used services from other Black businesses where they could have been better about their professionalism and communicating with their services. Um, one thing that I try to be like real mindful of is that a lot of us don't have the opportunity to see a business owner start from scratch and lay out the process for us to follow. A lot of us are just kind of just figuring out as we go. Um, when we see white wealth, a lot of them are born into a level of wealth and their fathers or their mothers had established businesses where they either worked there while they were in high school they just had a level of exposure that we didn't most of our exposure has been as clients customers and to be on the other end unless you're getting professional training and sometimes you have to pay for certain workshops but I want to throw it out there that the University of Hartford or if you're wherever you are in a different state the small business um, administration, they do a lot of workshops and they have mentors under this program called SCORE. So you can get a free mentor. You could attend workshops and get real hands-on um, 
interactions with people who've been in multi-million industries with their business. But I think it goes back to like, we just, you don't know what you don't know. It's not an excuse. (laughs) I feel you, I feel you because, um, I, even in the workplace, and and I was just thinking about this now because I was thinking to myself like, "Yo, um, for my job, they kind of like irritated me, and I, you know, and I felt like I was sticking up for myself or whatever." But then I realized like, when you're African American, or I keep saying African American because that's how I identify myself, um, right. that we are not taught professionalism, and I don't know if it's because of the community in which I was raised that I don't have these professionalism skills that like other young um, white people have, but mm-hmm. I don't, I realize that's where I lack at. Like I, I, I sat down last night after I did my recording, I realized like I am not as professional as I thought I was. I'm more professional than the people that I have dealt with on a personal level, I guess. But when I have to go out here and in the workforce or, you know, I don't have that. And I think now that I think about it, when you talk about like, oh, like being the business owner um, and how I'm talking about customer service, I, I think that's something that we don't get. We don't get taught how to be as professional. Um, kind of like I see where you're saying, but I also think it kind of goes back to how you're raised because part of professionalism comes from etiquette like I grew up in a Caribbean household, so the terminology we use is upbrotsy. <laughs> so the way you were brought up, right? Oh, girl, yes, I know. <laughs> My grandparents you don't walk into a house and don't speak. <laughs> right. No, you address the person and you don't address them by their first name, none of that. You better come correct when you address them. <laughs> yeah, but I think like it's different in the workforce an idea like mm-hmm. how you do, how you get your point across and how mm-hmm. you do certain, I just feel like it's a little different. And I think that, um, I, actually, I told myself I'm going to be looking for some workshops on like professionalism for myself because I'm going into this field where I want to have my own business. So like you have your business, but you're going to have to teach me a couple of things <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think that's one thing with me is professionalism. And um, it's not even, that, not even being organized is the idea of having to be professional and what that looks like. Um, depending on what the field you work in. And I know that you did talk about like the mental health for you. Mm-hmm. And I really want to get into that as far as I know you were diagnosed with, um, you said depression and anxiety. So mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with ADHD, ADD, and anxiety. So yes, uh, one, I'm going to ask these questions and you could just answer them off. It's just like for you being one African-American Caribbean, how was that experience growing up? Because <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was hard. I think it's hard for all of us, honestly, because what happens in the household stays in the household. No one talks about it. Eventually, what happens fades away, and then you move on to the next thing until something else comes up. So I didn't know how much trauma I was exposed to when I was younger until I got to my adult ages and I'm forced to like deal with situations situations where some of these unresolved traumas start to resurface and you're like what the fuck I don't know what's going on yeah you think you get so far and you're not as far as you thought you got Mm -hmm. so uh, for me I knew when 
I started to have like suicidal thoughts and just the feeling of not wanting to be here. Sometimes it was even like I wanted to die. I just didn't feel like being here, whatever that looks like. And when it became more frequent is when I sought professional help. Yeah. There, that's when things got a lot better. But a lot of it comes from not being able to have open, honest conversations starting in the home. Yeah. That's I mean, under the rug and. Yeah. I think now, I, I mean, I could tell you, like, because, um, you know, we went to elementary together, but I don't know if you knew that my grandma adopted me. So no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when we went to elementary, I went. I was going through a lot because I I wasn't adopted, but I was going in and out of foster home. A lot of people didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So for me, like I I thought like I got to a level of understanding, like you like you know with my parents, even though you know like just accepting all of that and everything like that, you know. And luckily, like I could say that my grandparents, because my grandma is from the south, my grandmother's husband who helped raise us is from the from Jamaica so he he a little bit more hardcore you pray you must pray about it <laughs> right exactly. so but for um them as I got older um it, we they were able to hear me out but when I was younger it was basically a child stays in a child's place you're supposed to be seen and not heard <laughs> when grown mm-hmm. folks are speaking you why are you here <laughs> right. for, um, but as I got older, um, I, I really want to say that they were a little bit more open into having those conversations and hearing these things. Um, and that's one thing I uh, was happy about is that they were able to do that. But I just feel as though, for me, I got diagnosed late. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I question why was that? Have you, I mean, I don't know, like you had to seek help on your own, but do you think that like, the telltale signs were there before you were diagnosed? Mm-hmm. They were. <laughs> they definitely were. And because I didn't understand it, like, I didn't even understand or know what a social worker was until, like, a year before I applied to a master's program for social work. <laughs> talking about, like, I'm, like, 22, 21 at this time. So, and in high school, one of the closest people to me as far as faculty wise was a social worker. Like I knew that was her title, but I didn't know what she did. And the correlation started to make sense later on as I got older and I started to put myself in that role. And I can remember a particular time where there were some physical things going on in the house, not anything sexual, but I was on the phone late night. I had a boyfriend at the time. Um, there are different like just things as far as drama going on in the household that just brought everybody's tensions really high. So needless to say, me and my dad got into it. I ended up with a um, black eye and the next day I had to go to school. Um, I had to lie about it. I had to go to the doctor and lie about it. I was told to lie. I was told to lie and I knew why because had I said what really happened that would have opened up uh, a DCFS yes all of that and to this day I never understood why because you know as social workers we're mandated reporters so that same um, faculty who I was really close with in high school I went to her like the day after and sat in her office because I was getting like questioned by teachers and people just looking at me because evident that something had happened and I told her what happened, but she never reported it. And I always question it to this day, like 
you were a man of support. <laughs> Why didn't you say something? And well, it was she was like, American. Oh, she was black. She was all the way black. <laughs> That's why. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, okay. No, I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you know what I mean. <laughs> what I'm saying is because the idea of it is like, it's not that, I don't think that she meant to turn a blind eye to it, but it's the idea that, like, I'll be honest, like dealing with DCF, it is no, it's no walk in the park, yo. And I think that like, with, especially because black and brown communities have been targeted by DCF, that like, we do our best not to put our, like, if we can keep our kids at bay, I think that it is the idea that you're better where you are than you are in DCF custody. Right. It's crazy. I think that, um, even as a, and I'm not going to lie, that's my bias. Does not mean I won't report it, but that is my bias. <laughs> no, it's true. Like, I've had situations when I was on the job, um, my official title was a social worker because you have to be licensed, at least in the... Um, dc area but i've seen a mother beat her child in front of me and mandated i had to make a report but i knew where it was coming from i understood it like little girl was definitely calling her mother a nigga all this stuff and was like pushing her and mom just lost her um father like she was under a lot of stress so that was like the turning point for her before she like knocked the little girl out (laughs) <laughs> she was about to get it because I'm about that life and she very was much like to be quite honest I'm surprised she held out this long no <laughs> but I mean I think it's that idea um when you think about it though like and and that's the good thing about having like I guess I want to say black and brown social workers is that, like we know where it's coming from whereas someone who, who doesn't come from our community doesn't understand that mm-hmm. um and I think that's a hard thing. And I think also for you doing what you're doing now, like to leave a job, girl, my anxiety would tell me I'm a failure already. I don't know how you, <laughs> I don't know how you're doing it. Cause my anxiety, I'm telling you right now, like I know I take my medication, mm-hmm. but um, sometimes the anxiety still be strong. Of course. <laughs> it's not a cure. <laughs> nah, but I know sometimes for me, I was like, oh. Yeah, it wasn't an easy decision and it took, I would say a good solid year to think of the proper transition. Like even before that year, I knew I wanted to leave and I was just banking on getting another job and it wasn't working out as planned. And my current job, like as much as I love helping people, being in a field where I'm tending to crisis and trauma with like families on a daily basis became too much for me. And I felt like my sanity was more important than any of this. Exactly. Because my philosophy is this. is like, if if I can't give you 80%, then I'm doing an injustice. Right. I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, if I, I really do. Um, and I think that you bring up a good point. When we think about this, it's just not even um, just as a social worker, but just as a person um how hard it is working in this field i think working in the mental health field people is mental health field but people don't treat it like it's a part of the health field one we don't get the funding that they get (laughs) Mm -hmm. to um 
I think that a lot of comp- a lot of these nonprofits, a lot of uh, this is what irritates me because like I I feel like mental health companies that I've worked for, I don't think I've seen many that are uh, for profit. And if they were for profit, they damn sure didn't want me. Mm-hmm. So most of the companies I work for have been nonprofit. And I think that um, nonprofits don't do their due diligence by their workers. And the idea like they preach and teach about self-care, but do not give you the time for self-care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think burnout was very frequent. I remember I asked my um, old supervisor because she went to go start her own um, business. And I asked her, like, do you think working in the mental health field per se is, is toxic? Um, so I'm going to ask that to you. Do you think that working in this field can be toxic? Mm, that's a loaded question. <laughs> of course, of course, that's me. <laughs> um, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's toxic, but it's not for everybody. <laughs> it's not for that's everybody. Um, and even for the people that are working there, you have to be able to know when to back away from a situation, take care of yourself. Yeah. It affects everyone at some point, at some time. It does. It does. Because that's why I was explaining to my coworkers um, that I'm not, I it sounds awful, but I told them this. I'm not going to give all of me to my job. You should. So when I get home to my family and my son, the people that are my, that keep me up, that they get not they get the worst of me. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in that. I don't believe my clients should get the worst of me either. Right. But I don't believe in giving. And I, I this is what I this is my bias against the nonprofits. I really believe that they think that we're supposed to give our all, my everything. Mm-hmm. I, I'm supposed to forget my support system for a job mm-hmm. for people that 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 are you know that I'm gonna impact, but they're going to move on. Right. Um, that, I mean, that's how I felt about it, but that's just, that's just me. I'm very, I'm very like observant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do believe in, I believe that if I can't give it my all or my best, then there's no point in me giving. Mm-hmm. And I think that like what the mental health field, at least nonprofits, and I'm really killing nonprofits right now, mm-hmm. but, um, and they don't do their due diligence for that. They don't do the due diligence in the idea that their workers, if they, they, I, they don't get into the job for the money. Because if we got into the job for the money, nobody will work mental health. Right. <laughs> you get into the job because you really, you, you, either you were helped by somebody in this field, hmm. um, you, you've seen somebody get help from it. Like something about this field has touched you in some way as to where you want to be the person to get back. Right. Um, and I think that sometimes they shit on us and the idea that um, they drain you. Right. And I think that you making that decision was a very strong, I, that's very strong. I mean, and, and even with all the mental health stuff that you have going on, that that's, that's a hard decision to make. It is. <laughs> a lot of thoughts, praying, planning planning on top of the plans <laughs> Girl, plan a b c and double z mm-hmm. <laughs> even though i'm like um almost two months out i'm still trying to figure it out but 
I've also always pretty much worked for nonprofits, especially when it came to helping people. Yeah. And eventually I even want to open up my own nonprofit. It will be different. It won't be um, therapy or counseling or any of the that nature. But I could see from working for my nonprofit that because everything is grant funded and when you're talking about counseling and therapy and providing that free to the community, it becomes a money thing and a numbers thing. Yes. So money equals clients. And if your clients are low, your funding gets low and it gets cut. So you always have to be on top. You're always competing, always competing to either get a grant or keep your grant. Yeah, I think that creates such a, uh, I don't think it creates a toxic environment because I feel like at that point it takes away from the the mission, right. it the purpose down. of it what we're doing. From the higher ups to the frontliners, the direct care. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm more so, I'm like for profit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for profit. Um, but no, I, I see what you're saying. Like I, everything is a, is a numbers game always. And I, and I just hate how like, we play with people's lives because if if your mind to me if your mind isn't well then your body isn't well. right no for real um and i just think that we're playing with people's lives when you you, you create this number system but that's just how yeah. i look at it but for you and your business though um from the business aspect of all of this what with the mental health and and leaving and how how is the business doing i can say it's definitely doing good like even though i definitely took a big um pay cut by going out on my own this is probably the longest time that i've been like just content and okay and (laughs) stress-free like i don't have anxiety about getting a call at the middle of the night with some type of crisis. I know when my work starts, I know when it ends. Um, I feel like I have a lot more balance and because I'm in a better space mentally, I could produce work better. I could- that sounds good. <laughs> I need a life like that. <laughs> Are you selling this? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna package it up and put a bow on top. No, but I mean, I think that you you do it like coming if you ever sit back and sometimes I do this I sit back and I think about where I was and where I am now I'm not where I want to be but I'm damn sure not where I used to be and I mean granted like you know we start off two little kids in elementary school and after I see sounds like you're in such a better space and I mean Mm-hmm. I wish you could sell me some of this, some some of this better space. <laughs> I mean, you you got to do a lot of internal work. I want to say like, thank you one for interviewing with me. Hopefully, it wasn't too bad. No, I, like, I'm I like good. I enjoy <laughs> these conversations, and I think they should happen more often. Definitely, and then your story and you being who you are, um, in the mental health field and doing your artsy rella and all that you're giving a lot of, <laughs> i know girl, i said it right you're giving a lot of like young black women young black folks um people who come from the inner cities a lot of hope that like damn we really could do this because i think that's the hardest like, 
the hardest part of it is knowing that you have that that you have that fire inside of you. But the next thing is really getting it and, and, and really believing that it could get done. And I think that like, you know, you're doing it. It may not feel like it sometimes. I get like that. People are like, you graduated, you got it this, does, you did it. Right. And it's like, sometimes you be in this mode where it's like, I'm just doing what I got to do. And that's what <laughs> like, I actually be intentional about was being, giving myself gratitude. Yeah, that. that's hard. I think that's hard, but I'm giving you as much gratitude because girl, <laughs> I'm I'm proud of you, and I and I really think that like you're giving hope to a lot of us that sometimes I'm really speaking for myself. Like the other day, I was feeling like I was just so trapped in a box. Like I'm far, but I'm not going anywhere right now. <laughs> but you give me some hope, so I want to say thank you, and also thank you for interviewing. Is there anything that you want to leave us with? Um... I appreciate you extending this offer to me and I look forward to more conversations because you are Wonder Woman too. Like mothers out here, like motherhood. I'm like just getting really exposed because a lot of my friends are not having babies. That shit's hard. <laughs> You're <laughs> Oh God, it's wonderful, but it's scary as hell. Being a parent, legit full-time job on top of whatever other jobs you have yeah but yeah so definitely what i'll do is um i'll bring it back because i want to have some more discussions about some i just it's more discussions i want to have about um just being just us i think um just mental health in the black community i mean is a lot of light that's being shined on it but i don't think it's enough yeah it's a lot of that what happens here stays here and i think that um that is trying we're trying to break a cycle um and to do that we have to keep shining the light on we have to keep making Mm -hmm. it be known and making people feel comfortable with talking about it and also in your way how you cope with that is is being that artsy Mm -hmm. person you know is in in your work and i think that um letting people know like you don't only have to cope by just going to sit down and talk to somebody or you don't only have to just take medications there are so many other ways to cope and deal that are going to that can be right, lucrative exactly. hey guys just want you to know that i'm looking for some more people to interview um who have different backgrounds than mine who are from different walks of life than i am um if interested in being featured on the mental block with me shelby um Please do not hesitate to listen to the ending slash outro on any of my podcasts. Uh, You will be able to get my Instagram where I can be DM directly. Thank you. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Mental Block with Shelby. I have an Instagram so you can follow me at Mental Block and that is block with two C's and no K. Um, feel free to reach out to me via DM. I do ask that you guys, if you don't like what I've said, that you let me know, but do it in a way that it can be informative and that we both can grow from the conversation. Um, lastly, like I always say, I encourage you to reach out to a mental health professional within your area. If you do not have one, feel free to text the word HOME. H-O-M-E to 741-741.